Welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you. And we talk about better pain management. We talk about rehab after surgery. We talk about improved mobility. And we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. All right, once again, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. Remember to go out to corephysicaltherapy.com. That's right. Go out there. That should be your first start to a better well, life and health. It's a great location, a great place to start. Go out there, corephysicaltherapy.com. We are going to be talking on this particular podcast, rotator cuff patches. That's exciting. I'm all in, I'm all into it. I'm going to learn a lot, definitely, because we've got a great uh, panel here. And we're going to start with you, Justin. Give us, for the listeners, a little 411, a little background on who you are. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for having us. Uh, my name is Dr. Justin Kennan. I'm an orthopedic surgeon, uh, specialized in shoulder surgery. Uh, I operate out of uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. So we take care of a good number of folks from East Tennessee. I uh, did my training at uh, Mayo Clinic and uh, decided uh, we uh, liked the better weather of East Tennessee. So we're down here doing uh, the vast majority of shoulder surgery, a lot of rotator cuff, good stuff, and uh, advancing the uh, needle and pushing the envelope a little bit here. Yeah, I, I got I to have a little clarification. I, I, do you want to be called Dr. Justin or Dr. Kennan or just a good-looking guy? What do you want to be called? <laughs> you, you just call me Justin. I feel comfortable because Dr. Rick makes me call him Dr. Rick. Yeah, well, we can keep it casual. <laughs> All right, Wilson, give us a little background. You you old salty uh, just PT guy, go for it. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot, Scott. My name's uh, Wilson Rains. I'm a physical therapist in uh, Alcoa, Tennessee. I'm the clinic manager of our Alcoa location, uh, although I did used to work uh, for one of our physician contracts as a uh, Dr. Justin was uh, mentioned off screen there with TOC uh, in his office. So I've had quite a bit of experience with his uh, patients and his um, post-op rehab protocols. Uh, and uh, we serve a lot of the Knoxville areas, a little bit more of the South Knoxville, Blunt County area of East Tennessee as well. Are you a, a Tennessee native? I am. I'm from, um, I'm from the very northeast tip of Tennessee. Uh, so, near, uh, uh, Bristol's probably the closest. Uh, so closest are you a state. volunteer? Oh, yes, absolutely. Unfortunately yeah, for me. These Dr. Last Justin, years, is like, <laughs> you don't have any choice in East Tennessee, Scott. <laughs> <Right>. Go dogs. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dr. Rick, they're all warmed up. Take it away. Well, I'm Rick Lehman, and uh, first of all, I want to thank everybody for for this podcast. Wilson, how are you, buddy? Doing well. Good, good, good. So this is a great topic and, and basically there's, there's a lot going on in rotator cuff research and rotator cuff literature of recent. Uh, things have changed certainly in my 36 years of doing this and certainly um, getting rotator cuffs to heal, biologics, etc., are all part of of the enhancement of uh, rotator cuff pathology and rotator cuff surgery. So before we get started, Dr. Uh, Justin, we're going to uh, 
hit you up just a little bit and tell us about your practice, kind of how much of your practice is shoulders, how much of your practice is rotator cuffs or the degenerative cuff tears primarily, is it a mix? So, so tell us about your practice just a little bit. Yeah, so, um, Dr. Rick, I, uh, I guess you could still say there's, uh, there's room for evolution for all of us, right? We, we continue to grow and things continue to change. And so I've always been – I've challenged myself with trying to keep up with things. And so when I was, when I, when I was at Mayo Clinic doing shoulder and elbow surgery up there, when I got back or, or was kind of deciding it, and frankly, my wife made it very clear that the cold weather of Minnesota was plenty and that it really was time to get back to the south – uh, but when we headed back down here, you know, I kind of challenged myself because I'd left, you know, a world-class institution, um, you're doing really advanced stuff and really doing uh, forward thinking. And I said, you know, I want to go to a place where I can continue that. And so, um, you know, the vast majority of my practice uh, here in Knoxville and at TOC is, I would tell you, it's probably 90% shoulder. Um, so I do a, a very little bit of other kind of sports medicine, a little elbow stuff, but 90% of it's shoulder. Within that breakdown, I would tell you that uh, the rotator cuff comes into play almost every day um, and almost every patient, um, because whether it's determining whether or not the patient uh, has a, ro a, a subtle rotator cuff injury or a more significant full thickness rotator cuff injury, uh, you know, that uh, could very dramatically change what their rehab looks like and, and you know, what, wh whether they need surgery or they don't need surgery, all these options. So that's probably in terms of true uh, rotator cuff surgery, uh, fix it, don't fix it, partial fix, all these kind of things. That's probably about half of my shoulder business. Um, and, you know, we do several, probably four or 500 uh, shoulders a year. And so the other half of it is, um, is shoulder replacement. And I know that's not really the topic today, um, but what's interesting is I'm still thinking about the rotator cuff then because I'm trying to, to determine whether or not they have the integrity to undergo an anatomic or reverse replacement. And so I'm still thinking about the rotator cuff pretty much every day with almost every patient in one way or another. That's excellent. So, so let's kind of drill down just a little bit. Um, take us through the 55-year-old the man. He comes in. Um, he's got a retracted rotator cuff tear, uh, very active, in pretty good shape. Kind of walk us through how you're going to, you know, a guy walks in and says, my shoulder's sore. Justin, take it from there. You know, how are we going to work that patient up and, 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 and how are we going to make a decision whether we need to do a reverse, whether it's reparable, you know, whether we're going to get into uh, some type of grafting, uh, Regenten, or, or, or kind of the, the steps. But, but walk right. us through that workup a little bit. You get an MRI, kind of, kind of what do you do? Yeah, absolutely. I think and, uh, your point's valid. You know, a minute ago, Rick, you mentioned, is this a degenerative type of tear? Is it a, a acute traumatic tear? And, you know, all those kind of decision making, uh, those items go into my checklist as well, because I, uh, just like you kind of alluded to, uh, I don't feel like any two rotator cuff tears are the same. They're they have their own personalities, and sometimes you're fooled interoperatively. But in, in, to, your, to your point, the first thing we typically do is I take a, a good, solid history. We want to know how did this happen, how long have these symptoms been going on. We try to get a, a build for is this, to your point, a little bit of the degenerative tear that has been going on for quite some time, and it's just kind of a wear and tear thing. And hey, Doc, you know, I've been working out the yard recently, been playing some pickleball, and uh, it's been a little sore, you know. That to me is an entirely different beast 
Then when you talk about the younger patient, uh, I remember one of my first weeks here, our, uh, the head of our HR department. So she's literally the one that, you know, signs the paychecks and gets your benefits. And, you know, the person you want to kind of have on your side, uh, I think it was the first week I was in town, her husband, who's in his early 40s, fell off a ladder, uh, you know, and completely, complete avulsion, greater tuberosity avulsion, everything um, of his rotator cuff, right? So he's an otherwise healthy and active guy, never had a, a lick of pain in the world before, and now he's got this acute traumatic tear. So I think understanding the patient, where they came from, um, and how this whole issue came to be is really, really important. It gives me a lot of information. Um, certainly we get x-rays that can give us a high level picture of the structure of the shoulder. Is it healthy? Is it not? Are, are there arthritic changes? Do we see disruption of Shenton's line? You know, are things kind of, is it given away that maybe this is a little bit of a chronic pattern? Um, or do they have end-stage arthritis and they just thought they had a rotator cuff problem, right? Uh, so you never know. So I think it's worth looking at those. Um, that's a standard for me, a, a solid, good set of x-rays. Um, and then I kind of start taking it from there. If they fail that, we get an MRI. Uh, I, again, I'm a very conservative guy in terms of uh, recommending surgery for any and everybody. I really try not to be that guy. And so assuming you fail conservative stuff, you're a 55 year old guy, you've got a retracted cuff tear. The MRI for me is really helpful. Um, again, I think we get tricked a little bit with when you're looking at a, an MRI, determining whether or not the tear is reparable or not, because you're probably a lot better than I am, Dr. Rick. You've done it uh, a, a little longer than I have, but I would tell you this, I've definitely been fooled both ways. Cuff tears that I think are gonna be 100% reparable, and by gosh, they trick you one way. And then the other ones you go in, I just had a guy this week, a uh, young guy, and uh, I was really worried about the, rep the repairability of his cuff um, because he had a little atrophy, a little retraction, you know, that whole thing about that age, you know, in his 50s. And I went in there, you know, cleaned it up a little bit, you know, uh, cleaned up bursal, did a little release, and it came over beautifully. And I walked out going, hey, man, that guy's as good at what, as he was when he was 18 playing baseball. Um, you know, so I, I, that's kind of where I'm going with with uh, my initial workup. Certainly, a physical exam is really important too. You can have people with cuff tears that are compensated, even right. It's amazing they have a huge cuff tear on MRI, a little pain. It looks like they shouldn't be able to raise their arm, but they've compensated because of, you know the, the bundle theory, I think, and and they're able to raise their arm still. And you go, how's that happen? You know, but again, I think the treatment algorithms are different based on that, you know, and how much it's affecting them. So, so let's go down the road just a little bit. Um, give us your, before we get into rotator cuff patches and, and kind of bioinductive patches, let, let's talk about your go-to procedure. Guy comes in, he's got a, I don't know, two centimeter retracted tear, um, otherwise pretty healthy, glenohumeral joints pretty clean, maybe a little degenerative change of his labrum. How are you going to fix that tear uh, as a primary repair? So my primary go-to right now is a double row repair. Um, you know, there's been a lot of controversy back and forth on that. The pendulum went, you know, it was always single row, really swung to double row. Now it's funny, more and more guys are coming back to single row, I think, a little bit. Uh, you know, biomechanical properties, I, I think you could still argue a double row uh, makes you feel better uh, as a surgeon, uh, or at least it, it does for me. Um, so I'm still doing that. You know, I, I think the ever conscious uh, surgeon has to be a little aware of cost and we know there's some increased costs there, but uh, at least where I'm at right now, it's something that we think it's palatable for, for most kind of uh, payers and insurance plans and whatnot. So I'm doing a double row repair. Uh, I typically use 
um, you know, for, for an average uh, supraspinatus tendon tear, I'm doing two medial, two lateral anchors, uh, typically doing interlinked pulley systems, kind of a double pulley system. Uh, I use knotless technology. Um, I, I, I train tying knots, but having worked with knotless technology now, I've gotten to where I don't think it adds much more time. And I just like the idea of not having a knot stack in the uh, subacromial space. And it may just be to make my uh, pictures look great at the end, but it makes me sleep good at night and makes me uh, say, hey man, I think I did the absolute best for that patient out there. Um, so I do, uh, that, that's kind of my go-to. Um, recovery is a whole other thing. I don't think I'm really all that creative with that for your traditional cuff repair. I'm still kind of a six weeks in the sling for the most part for a big cuff tear and, um, and then get them moving, you know, passive stuff early, but you know, no real active motion until about six weeks. So Wilson, before we get into kind of the topic, we're, we're kind of skirting the topic a little bit, but before we get in, dive into the topic here, give us your, 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 your post-op regimen uh, on Dr. Kennan sends a patient over, he's had a typical two-row rotator cuff repair, um, repair solid, patient comes in. Uh, give us, kind of walk us through rehab, how you evaluate that patient and, and kind of what are next steps in terms of his rehab. Right. So um, I usually get his, I know we've had um, Dr. Brady also from TOC on this podcast before. And so he's a very hard line. You see him one time after surgery, do the incision removal, make sure they're wearing the sling properly. You don't see him again really for six weeks at all. They're completely immobilized in the sling. Sometimes that's better for some patients, worse for others. I've, Rehab for me, I think, is easier on the front end with some of Dr. Kennan's patients only because you can sort of root some issues out that you might have later on. For instance, if the patient is like mess, starts messing with their sling and starts to get, let's say, some upper trap myofascial pain and things like that, as well as if you can start maybe at two, three weeks post-op, a little bit of passive range, just gentle joint glides. Um, and really, I mean, I've been surprised um, with the amount of pain, I mean, I would say typically, especially since he started using the patch, even in the passive only phase, um, his patients have quite a bit less pain than I would say is typical. You know, your, your typical rotator cuff repair, at least when I started uh, doing rehab, you know, they're pretty, pretty miserable those first couple of weeks, especially if they're doing passive only rehab. Uh, but I do, the first thing is education, checking the incision, all that good stuff. I'll do some general passive range and some joint glides uh, up to sort of tissue resistance and, and patient uh, preference. Some patients come out and they're super hot. They've had a, 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 let's say a work comp case and it's been three months and their shoulder's been hurting them forever and they're super sensitized. Uh, and sometimes if it's a young athletic guy, you know, you're not really getting near tissue resistance or patient pain. You're just slowly progressing until he goes back to see Dr. Kennan. Uh, definitely do some scapular activation. Uh, make sure they're able to move that shoulder blade. You don't want to get it tacked down uh, and do some, uh, some myofascial work. Sometimes if they start getting some traps and levator pain uh, and things like that, but it definitely helps me, I think, get a better idea of where the patient's going to be at, especially once they get out of the sling and if they're going to do too much or if they're going to be, uh, if the capsule starts tacking down, if they're a big scar, it's nice to be able to see them a little bit early on versus, you know, six weeks and then they come out and they're stiff as a board sometimes. And that's a good point. That's kind of a hot topic in orthopedics. You know, when, when you know, Dr. Yamaguchi talked about saying 100% of the cuffs don't heal when you move them early and then kind of reverted back to immobilize them a little bit. And I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. 
Well, let's get down to brass tacks just a little bit. Dr. Cannon, tell us, what, what is a bioinductive patch? What are we talking about here? So the uh, bioinductive patch, you know, the way I explain to patients and kind of from, a, from an educational standpoint, I tell people the things that it takes for a rotator cuff to heal are, uh, are kind of twofold in my mind. Number one, you have to have a mechanical fix, right? So the patient you described to me, Dr. Rick, was a tendon, uh, you know, if this is the ball and you know, the tendon's retracted back, it's not going to grow legs and just go back over there. So it needs mechanical stability. It needs to go back home. It needs to be back in its happy place um, where it belongs, you know? And so that's a, that's kind of the mechanical fix. But unfortunately, you know, you can do the best repair in the world on a uh, on that tendon tissue, um, but sometimes the quality of the tissue is not good or for whatever reason, the patient has some medical comorbidities or some non-compliance or whatever it might be, uh, or just bad luck and they just don't heal. And so that part of it goes, you go, well, man, that was good looking tissue. I did a great repair. So to me, that's where the biology comes into it. And I think that's what we've been missing in the rotator cuff world for quite some time. You know, um, you know, the, like we talked about, how do you fix the, the cuff? Well, fr frankly, it's a little bit of dealer's choice, right? Transosseous tunnels, single row, double row, all that. I think if you get the tissue back down there that, that's the important part but then the part we hadn't been able to do much about was biological right so the idea behind a biologic patch is you're you may be able to add um you may be able to add that biology right so the patch is it acts like a collagen almost a scaffold right so it's it's tissue it's tendon like tissue um that is that's implanted into the shoulder and um it's not a permanent thing right i mean it goes away it dissolves in about six months is what the studies would tell us and kind of incorporates into that native tissue and so i think there's a lot of indications for it. there have been studies that show you know full thickness cuff tears massive cuff tears partial thickness tears and i think that's a, a big topic in of itself but you know for me i think that no matter the reason we 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 have studies that show it works in any in any of those uh, patterns is probably because it does and probably because there's the biology that we didn't have before um now part of that is trying to figure out when do we use it and when do we not and i don't i think we're all figuring that out but at a, at, a, at a high level, you're adding this um, kind of this natural biology. Uh, we're taking the strain off of the, the native rotator cuff, allowing it to heal. And then frankly, I think that some of it, you know, is that it, that brings down inflammation and brings down pain. And so then people do well, you know. Um, so I, I think that's kind of the idea behind it. Um, and again, it, it uh, creates kind of an environment that is conducive to healing. I think that's the biggest part of it. And, and how, how, two questions. How do you fixate the cuff? And is there any place for biologics, PRP, amniotic stem cells, umbilical stem cells, et cetera? Right, right. So, so I think uh, the beautiful part about the patch is, in my mind, you know, it, it's an augmentation to what you were going to do already, right? So in a partial thickness cuff tear, uh, if you're going just to breathe it traditionally, I think you throw this on top of it if it's a 10, 20% cuff tear. And I think, you, you know, it adds probably five to 10 minutes to your case. So it's an easy surgically um, appealing option for, pay, for, for surgeons and patients. And so if you can do it in five or 10 minutes and you're not adding, you know, 45 minutes to the case, you're not adding undue uh, anesthesia time and risk to the patient. 
and all of the stitches that, or the staples that you use to, to hold this patch in place, if you think about a uh, almost like a, a postage stamp, right? If this is your cuff and you put the postage stamp on top and you took little micro or arthroscopic staples that dissolve and you put them in there, that's what you use to hold it in place. And all of those uh, fixation uh, elements are all bioabsorbable. And so again, in six, they've done studies where six months later they go in and look and there's these second looks and you can't really find it. It just looks like healthy, like it's incorporated into the tissue. So that's it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, time sensitive, um, and it also is very. Uh, I think it's patient friendly in the sense that it's not a forever thing. You don't have metal anchors, you know, into the bone. You got things that are going to go away. Um, so I think that's that's that part of it. Now, in, in your practice, are, are you using it more for parts? So initially, when it came out, you know, guys. Um, were, were, and, and their mantra was, hey, this is an excellent fixation for partial cuff tears. And then some well-known surgeon said, you know, I've been augmenting my big repairs and, and you know, I've had 100% heal uh, based on the, using this augmented patch. And, and Mississippi group, you know, they swear by the patch and guys are friends of mine and they're like, you know, we're almost getting every cuff tear to heal with an augment of the patch, but initially really it came out more to treat partial rotator cuff tears. So where do you see in your practice, where do you see this best fitting, you know, wh which patients are you going to say, yep, you know, I'm putting this graft in there and I know this is going to kill it. And which patients uh, maybe push the envelope a little bit where you say, you know, maybe I think this is going to help. I mean, how, in your mind, how do you, how do you correlate who you're going to, who you're going to fix with the patch? So, so for me, um, Dr. Rick, and again, kind of trying to be aware of uh, trying to be a steward of uh, the finances a little bit and how much, you know, the healthcare cost and what, whatnot. Um, I, I do try to factor that in there. Um, so I think if you're doing anything, even if it adds 10 minutes, you're still putting some foreign into the body. So uh, even though you can do it quickly, if there's really not much of an indication for it, for me, I try not to do it. So I'm a little bit of an extremes guy, right? So for me, if it's a partial thickness tear, um, it doesn't look full thickness on MRI, or sometimes if I think it's full thickness, but the radiologist says they think it's partial thickness, I tend to have a patch available. But if I get in there and it's clear as day that that's a full thickness, you know, centimeter, two centimeter, uh, supraspinatus tear that's not terribly retracted, well then for me, we go to a traditional repair, right? And frankly, I tell them to keep the patch, you know, in the box. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, that's that's kind of you know but if it's a partial thickness or we think it's partial thickness um i have it available on the other hand of things if they've already failed two two rotator cuff tears and i already know that i'm going to be fighting for real estate i'm fighting for good tissue qualities uh then for me i want to have the kitchen sink in there um because typically speaking for me anyway if you failed a couple rotator cuff repairs um there's already red flags um and particularly um, if you're if you're too young to be talking about you know reverse arthroplasty, you know those are tough patients, right? That's the patient nobody wants to walk in their clinic. The 40, 40 year old guy with no arthritis that's already fell three cups, right? Because that's a tough patient to take care of without a great great solution. But if I'm going to go in to revise that cuff, I want everything under the, under the sun available for me. And so I do think in those situations where you already know the biology is 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 poor. Um, then this is one of those where it's like, I don't know if it changes the world by putting that patch on there, but gosh, 
Uh, if it was me, I'd probably sign up for it. And, and you know, you just want to give it all the biology you can because you know uh, that's been a problem before. And you could potentially argue that maybe the fixation done before was great, um, but the quality of the tissue, it didn't, it had the mechanical fixation, but not the biology. So I tend to go in with it on the two extremes in the middle, you know, it's usually somewhere on the shelf and not really, nothing usually coming to my uh, repertoire a whole lot when, when we're talking about traditional full thickness retracted cuff tear. Um, so that's, that's probably where it sits for me in terms of breakdown of what I'd tell you 90% of mine are, are partial thickness that I use it on. And, and, and so let's walk through that just a little bit. You, you, you put the patch in when someone's got a partial cuff tear, maybe they're a little younger. Um, Give us your post-op a little bit. When, when, when do you send them over to Wilson and kind of how much do you protect them? When do you start your therapy? Kind of what are next steps after the surgery? So I think, uh, as you know, Dr. Rick, I think that's the beauty of this situation, right? I mean, if you catch a partial thickness tear that was 10, 20% thick, um, traditionally speaking, before a biological augment, we would probably just debride it and move on. Um, I tend to tell people it, it, it would it breaks my heart to see a 20% cuff tear. I know it hurts, but to take down 80% good tendon just doesn't make sense to me. And that's what a lot some a lot of guys do, right? I mean, they go, "Well, this patient hurt. I don't know what else to do." And, and so, to me, that really puts. Um, the patient at risk, it, it certainly sets Wilson a little behind the eight ball too and say, hey, now you got a full thickness tear to take care of, buddy. Um, so, you know, for me, the beauty of this is the partial thickness tear. The guy or the gal that you, you're not going to have in a sling for long, I typically tell them to wear it for you know, kind of intermittently until I see him back in the clinic in about 10 days. So I say, you know, you know, wear it most of the day, but you don't have to sleep in it. You know, come out several times a day, get moving. I'm not quite as aggressive with saying you got to see Wilson and the PT folks on day two, like you would maybe a frozen shoulder. Um, but for me, I do think, you know, around a week, week and a half, you get them to therapy. And frankly, unless I've done some sort of you know, labral repair or a, a bony biceps tendesis or something like that, then I have them come out of the sling pretty quickly. And they're in with Wilson doing passive and moving to active range of motion within the first two or three weeks. And uh, as soon as they can tolerate it, usually by six weeks, they're back and their motion's better than it was pre-op. Their pain's uh, not necessarily gone, but I've had a lot of them come and say, my pre-op pain is gone. My you know, I still have a little soreness. I'm working through it. You know, Wilson worked me too hard on Monday and, you know, they're, they're doing that number. But, um, but in general, they, those are the folks that I think just absolutely kill it. And, and Wilson, give us, you know, Dr. Kenneth sends a patient over. They had maybe a 30% cuff tear, 20, 30% cuff tear. Um, they got the Regen 10. They're doing, doing pretty well. Um, how do you evaluate them and how fast do you move them kind of through the process. So, so if we're going to protect somebody with a full thickness cuff tear that maybe needs some mobilization and big repair, um, give, us, give us sort of the differential and, and, and how aggressive you're going to be in somebody who's got a partial cuff tear that gets grafted versus somebody with a uh, significant cuff tear that you're going to protect. So the, I'll start with the significant cuff tear because it's probably, I guess, easier to explain in, in stages. I, I stay sort of within the – I probably have to have a good reason to get outside of the four to six weeks pretty much passive only at the glenohumeral joint, work around the scapula, uh, make sure their neck's moving okay, and then um, another four to six 
um, active assisted progressing to active between active assisted and active. I typically leave it up to sort of patient tolerance. Uh, and I'd like to think even in passive phase, I kind of know the ones that are going to, you know, whether or not the capsule is going to give me an issue. If it's, uh, you know, a, a soft infill where it's uh, uh, just a, or an empty infill with just pain, you know, the patient's going to hold me back or be a big time muscle garter. I'll start sort of on the front end using, um, tens or muscle relaxation techniques, myofascial release techniques to, to get them to relax a little bit. But I'll typically use that middle four to six weeks, progress active assisted to full active. And then once we get to, get to strength, it kind of depends on the patient. If I've got a, you know, 30 year old, that's a weightlifter and um, he had a, a, a supraspinatus tear doing lateral raises, he'll probably be okay to get into a little bit more uh, intensive strengthening early on uh, using dumbbells and that sort of thing. If I'm confident in his form and he's not having much pain with it, then I'll progress a little bit more quickly. But the partial thickness, I'm much more um, soft boundaried in, in terms of when I sort of progress. I kind of leave it up to the patient. Uh, I explain to him on the front end, we're going to progress, try and get pretty well full passive range of motion, then full active assisted range of motion, then full active range of motion, and then start applying resistance. Uh, if it's supraspinatus, you know, you be careful with that uh, initiation of abduction. Uh, make sure you're not loading them too much laterally early on. But uh, I pretty much let them uh, tell me, obviously, I'm not not getting to the bands on week two or anything crazy like that. But I, uh, I'm I'm definitely more willing, especially with the patch and especially with partial thickness tears, to to progress it pretty quickly, especially in uh, the younger population. That was excellent. So, Dr. Cannon, the, the question the question I'm asked probably more than any question, and you probably get asked the same question: is Hey, when can I go back to whatever? Playing golf, lifting weights, playing tennis, swimming. So, so what do you tell these partial cup tears? You graft them, uh, and and right away they're feeling pretty good. And that's been my experience. They come in and you're you're kind of amazed, really. Um, when are you going to let that that person go back to play golf or tennis or pick your poison, whatever the sport that they want to get back to? Kind of, kind of. How do you how do you counsel them? Well, the first question I get even before that usually is when can I drive, right? <laughs> And, and I know we all have a different answer for that, probably. Uh, some of it to protect the patient, some of us to protect ourselves, some of it to protect the police officers. But um, but <laughs> the, the, the answer is we don't necessarily know the right answer. But I do think I say, you know, look, if you're in a sling and you just had a massive cuff repair, there's no way it's probably safe for you to be driving to your follow-up appointment at seven days, right, or 10 days. On the other hand, if they have a partial thickness cuff tear and I go, look, You've been winning out of the sling since, you know, since day five or six, you know, seven, something like that. I think the average time back to driving is around two weeks. And um, and so you're talking about people that may be waiting three or four weeks, maybe six weeks. Um, and you factor in those folks who are trying to get to and from physical therapy. You know, it's a big game changer for, for that, for the rehab here versus the rehab there. And so I think get, being able to get out of the sling, even just to drive and to feel comfortable and safe controlling the vehicle within, a, you know, two weeks or so, uh, maybe a little sooner, even 10 days maybe, is a huge game changer for them. And then to your point, obviously, the next one is, all right, when can I do this? And um, my answer is usually uh, probably kind of like yours, Dr. Rick. It's, look, just like Wilson was explaining, I don't really – I can't have you trying to worry about driving driving a golf ball uh, 350 yards, right? I can't be worried about that if you can't raise your hand above 90 degrees, right? So for me, it's motion's got to be back. Your pain's got to be 
either not zero or minimal. Um, and you can demonstrate you've done some strengthening. So for most people, when I'm just kind of giving them realistic expectations, I'm saying, you know, look, if you have a massive cuff tear, your full recovery is probably nine months, give or take, give or take three months, right? You got some guys at six months that look great uh, and they swear they're hundred percent healed. And some people they're still kind of struggling at a year. And I tell people, if you compare that to a partial thickness with a cuff, t- with a, with a patch, you're probably cutting that by at least 50%, if not more. So I think most people, instead of being back to playing golf, for instance, um, at six or nine months, uh, I think they're usually back by two or three months, at least back on the range, uh, practicing, doing doing most of what they want to do. Maybe not at the highest level they were, but they're, they're certainly working that way to where they look like they're a year out when they're you know, three, four months out, you know, I mean, I find myself releasing them at three and four months and saying, well, I can't make you a whole lot better here. <laughs> you know, you're, you have no pain. Uh, you're thrilled. You're telling, you, you're telling me about how you're sending your sister and your brother-in-law to me, you know, you're happy, you know, and you're playing golf or working the yard or whatever. So uh, that's been my experience, uh, particularly with the partial thickness. So, so let's, let's, let's ramp it up a notch because I've had a couple of these, Partial rotate. So, so you know, our, our traditional sports medicine deal is you can fix a labrum in a thrower. Uh, if you have to fix a rotator cuff, you're, you're kind of hosed and they're kind of hosed. And, and I've actually done a couple of these uh, procedures on partial cuff tears and throwers. So do you have kind of kind of differentiate that guy, you know, that 21, 22 year old internal impingement breakdown of the cuff um, versus the, again, patient we're talking about, 45, 46-year-old weightlifter, maybe he's a carpenter, he's a painter, he's got some degeneration, maybe he got a 60% cuff tear, certainly has more degeneration of the cuff, and, and, and contrast those two, two patients on how, A, how they're going to do and what your expectations are. Well, you know, I think uh, <laughs> youth, is a, youth is a beautiful thing, right? So I think that 18-year-old ball player just has the odds stacked with him uh, more than the, the 45-year-old laborer, right? That 45-year-old laborer, laborer, even if you can, can um, objectively measure how much uh, tendon thickness might be gone, there's no doubt that that 45-year-old laborer, maybe, they, maybe they've smoked, they've got a few other medical comorbidities, they're diabetic, whatever. That patient's quality of the tissue, even if you can't see it, is nowhere as good as that 18-year-old baseball player, right? So I think the regenerative potential you have in the 18-year-old guy would allow me to be a little more aggressive with him, right? Because if you can put that patch on there, you add that on top of the fact that that was already a well-healing, healthy individual, I think you can be more aggressive there. Now, the flip side to that is that the demands of that 18-year-old ball player are going to be a lot different than the 45-year-old guy that's uh, frame, you know, framing houses for a living. So, um, yeah, I think you have to weigh that balance. And again, I'm a big patient-specific guy, you know, and uh, kind of like Wilson was talking about, sometimes you meet these guys or gals and you can look them in the eyes and you know where this is headed. You know, they're not going to, you know, for whatever number you tell them, you're going to, they're going to do half of it. So if you, if you really wanted to be still for two weeks, you got to tell them four because you know, they're going to be moving it too. So I think trying to understand the psyche of some of these patients and I, I don't get paid for being a psychiatrist or a psychologist either, but, um, but I do think there's a little bit of that when you're, you're individualizing the treatment for these patients beyond just, 
age and activity level, right? I think some of it's that other stuff too. Um, but I, actually, Dr. Rick, I, I know uh, you're the expert on in that world. Tell me actually what your experience has been with those younger younger athletes with internal impingement that you've done this for. Well, you know, it's it's really so. I've kind of matriculated into this, and I've done a couple of cuffs on pro athletes, and I I almost say I regretted it, but I, but you know, you, you hang crepe. You say, hey, you really. You know, the odds were stacked against you with a complete or substantial partial thickness rotator cuff tear to get back to throwing 98, 99. And, and oh, yeah. I've always been very, very pessimistic. And I've actually done, I think we're up to 13, 12 or 13, D1 kids, two pro kids. You know, that's the exact, I don't touch the cuff. I debris kind of the edges of the cuff. Um, you know, I do the Dr. Snyder make a million little holes for the uh, crimson duvet. Yep, and then yep. I just put, put the graft on and... I would say touch wood. We've had unbelievable results. Now they've been guys that that have rehabbed well, and they've been guys that have worked hard. You know, you got to give them the credit, and they've come back. So uh, I actually think not putting in the anchors and not, like you said, completing the cuff, taking a twenty percent partial cuff tear, and making it a hundred percent cuff tear is probably the answer. And I and and I've had good luck. Now again, I don't have ten year follow up, and I don't have five hundred patients but it's been a good procedure. So when I see those, maybe I'm not as pessimistic. I'm still pretty pessimistic. But, you know, when you see that athlete, I think that's a good thing to do. I don't um, disagree. And so, so you know, uh, and, and it's a new world. You know, I've done some cuff men's um, from Arthrex, and I think that's not as good. I got to be honest, I'm not trying to hurt any sponsors, but uh, that I don't think that has been as, as fruitful. I haven't done many, maybe 30. Um, but again, you know, I think it's, uh, I think the biologics, to your point, are extremely uh, positive. Now, I do tell them, you know, I don't let them start throwing for six months, which is a long time because they're telling me they're ready to go, which I don't. You know, I'm, I'm pretty specific on that. I've been pretty happy with that. Um, so, Wilson, give us give us before you know we kind of move on here a little bit. Um, give us sort of the. The, the progress when when somebody comes in they they they've had a biologic cuff augment and you're trying to get that guy to go back to the gym play tennis something a little more aggressive than golf kind of kind of walk us through that part of the rehab that last maybe six eight weeks and how you get them ready for that sport swimming you know things that are that are that are cuff dependent yeah, I uh, I guess I'll start with sort of considering the demand of let's say the the if it's supraspinatus and you got a golfer, uh, you got to consider the patient, right? Is this a, a guy playing the front tees? He's uh, he's 65 years old. He swings nice nice and smooth. Certainly, maybe a little more linear than my uh, my pro tracer tends to spray. He's not crushing the ball. He's not taking huge divots. He's not getting a ton of eccentric load if he catches it too fat. Let's say it's his left shoulder and it's his right hand. I'm a little bit more comfortable than them hitting a little bit earlier. Um, but I always try to consider, so um, if he's a bummer, like you said, a 350-yard driver, I'm a little bit more reluctant, you know. And I do start it a little bit earlier, right? So if they're 
um, doing banded work and uh, rotation and they're working out from, you know, adduction to 90 degrees. If they're comfortable there, tell them start chipping, start hitting some wedges and see how it feels. Uh, but the biggest thing is just progressing to those. Really, I think kind of the full long iron is probably the most dangerous in terms of, let's say, a left-sided supraspinatus uh, involved patient. But um, I let them determine um, where they feel it, the, the impact they're tolerating it. Do some range sessions, start at 15, 30 minutes of wedges, and then work your way up your irons. Uh, and then if, let's say, if it's the the uh, right hand on a, a right-handed patient, I work a ton of external rotation, make sure they've got, particularly if, you know, it's great if they have a video of their swing previously so I can see what we're working with. If they come over the top like me, maybe they don't need so much external rotation there in the back swing. Um, but uh, for throwers, um, I, I certainly earlier on, and if it's not a full repair, um, if they're a tennis player or a thrower, I make sure to do a ton of anterior moves. Uh, they're going to need probably more external rotation than internal rotation eventually. Um, but um, I do throwers 10. If there's any labral involvement, I'll make sure early on to get them to loaded scapular depressions, you know, pressing down into the table and then just progressing that um, internal and external to 90 degrees, you know, you get up here, make sure they're able to do it pulse, make sure they're able to control the eccentric return. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of like, um, just gross cuff activation exercises. So I'll make patients take a weighted ball and get it out here at 90-90 and roll it around the wall, do the body blade uh, out here at 90-90 overhead, fully abducted and extended a little bit. That seems to make them a little bit more confident and feel the the capsular sort of tightness that you get from a stable shoulder versus previously when they felt like, you know, they couldn't reach 10 inches away from their body without getting a, a stab there into the shoulder. Excellent. So Dr. Cannon, where's this going? I mean, you know, now all of a sudden we can arthroscopically put these patches in, which almost seems like putting a ship in a bottle. I mean, it seems amazing. So, so where are we going with this? What's, what's the next steps? What, what's the progress? What's going to be in five years with this technology? Well, you know, I think actually you mentioned on the earlier, touched on earlier, Dr. Rick, I think, uh, you know, I think it's, I hate to say it, it's all biologics these days, right? I mean, um, because I do think there's so many ways to skin a cat when it comes to um, the, the mechanical fixation. Again, breaking it down very simply, mechanical and biologic. And I don't think we're any closer now to, to figuring out a well-done mechanical repair is probably just that, a well-done mechanical repair, regardless of your exact technique um, and which anchors you use and all that kind of stuff. Now, certainly I'm excited to see what happens with those down the road. Um, I'd love to find a way to, to uh, enhance the biologic activity uh, within the anchors, you know, vented anchors, those kind of things increase that biology. Um, another thing you kind of mentioned, the crimson duvet. I'm a personally, I'm a pretty big fan of at least a very limited acromioplasty um, for the same idea of you're still stirring up that milieu. Uh, you're, you're probably stimulating some good PRP action coming in there anyway. Um, so good stuff that helps the biology, but I do think it's all biology. And so, um, you know, stem cells, amniotic cells, placental tissue, um, all of these things are out there. Um, I just, you know, I'll be honest with you, you know, I listen to guys like 
uh, Brian Cole, you know, when he talks about these kind of things, I think he's ahead of the curve. Um, he's, he's not alone. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of guys like you guys that are in that world. Um, I just personally, I'm not sure that I know where it's at, right? I don't know when you use the stem cell versus the amniotic versus PRP. Um, you know, the what is it, uh, lipos- the, the lipogenic stuff. You know, there's all these options out there. And I'm kind of sitting on, beta, you know, waiting on beta breath as well, trying to figure out which one do we think is going to show up as the front runner. Um, and then also, how can we do this that's not only safe, but also somewhat fiscally responsible for the patient and healthcare system? And so, um, certainly, I'm a very much Wilson would probably vouch for me. I'm a patient first kind of guy and uh, deal with the other stuff later. But, you know, at some point, you, you have to be aware of the of the burden to the healthcare system. So um, I, I don't know if I have the answer. I just I do think my money's on biologics. And uh, if you got any great ideas, we can work on them together, Dr. Rich. No, I think that's right. And, and I think that is there, there's a little bit of a problem. You kind of alluded to it a couple of times. And that is we can come up with unbelievable technology, but if it's $2,600 and you're a farmer and you're barely making ends meet, you know, you don't have $2,600 to add to your 20% and your copay, you know, to get an augment, which may or may not work, you know, with, with an amniotic stem cell PRP combination. So I, I couldn't agree more. And I, and I think the tech, it'll be interesting to see where we, where we end up, but I completely agree with you, you know, whether it's going to be some kind of, modified monoclonal antibody or whatever something's going to happen where someone's going to be able to genetically modify the ability for tissue to heal absolutely and that that's the golden the gold goose right now anyway right whether we're talking knees shoulder i don't do knee but you know knees and shoulders anything anywhere there's cartilage or collagen right i mean whether it's tendons and tissues or bones and cartilage right oh i agree so so i think you're on the money so Wilson, what did we forget? What should we what should we tell everybody that we didn't tell everybody? I think we've covered it. I'd say really the biggest uh, differences that I've seen are, are just uh, early on uh, reduction in pain, and then just a continued um, uh, reduction in, in symptom reproduction as we get down to the the strengthening phase. Get less seem to get less crepitus uh, around the the shoulder. Less uh, you know they hit that posterior lateral corner. They put right here's the pain. I don't get that. Uh, nearly as often and uh, seem to see quite a quite a happier patient population uh, with maybe a, a patch than I would uh, even a, a debridement or something like that. I, I think it's been a, a big game changer, especially from a rehab perspective. It's nice to not have, you know, your cuff patients want to, if, you know, the, the massive cuff or the one day or two day total knees, your angriest patient in the clinic. So it's nice for them to be uh, a little less miserable when they come in the first time they see you. Yeah, I, I, just a funny story to go along. I had a mentor that used to, uh, he would never see his cuff patients until three months. He'd make his mid-level see them all. Uh, and then he changed three months to four months because at three months they were still unhappy. So about four months he thought they were happy again most of the time and he'd see them again. So he has mid-levels seeing them up till then because it was just, I think it was emotionally and psychologically a toll on him. And I, I think about that and I think about Wilson taking care of these guys and he's dealing with them three times a week, you know? So um, it, it's just a tough recovery, right? Rotator cuff surgery is a bear. Um, you know, I think the best thing you can do as a patient is be educated, be prepared, have a great therapist, um, have a great team um, and a great surgeon that you trust. I mean, uh, this is, a again, uh, Scott would like this. You know, it's a little bit of a shameless plug, right? But 
Um, I do think in this world, uh, and Dr. Rick, I hope you'd agree, but I think there have been so many studies that show that specialization within medicine and orthopedics in particular it yields better results. Um, you know, a lot of that's from the arthroplasty shoulder world literature, but I know it's the same thing in the sports world. Um, and, and, you know, it just shows that, yes, there's, there's guys that could do next to anything out there, and particularly in smaller towns. You know, if you're in, if you're in Chicago and New York and Atlanta, you know, you got big cities, you got a gazillion options. But I tell people it's great, it's okay to have your, your shoulder treated by your local guy. Maybe you are a little further away from a bigger place. Um, and, you know, it's great to have a, a steroid injection, try some therapy. But when it comes time to making a very big decision that's going to take you out of the game for a while, potentially lost revenue and income, um, downtime, pain, you know, a big commitment from your from your life. I really think it makes sense. I always tell people it doesn't have to be me. Listen, I'll send you to one another guy I trust in town. But I just I think patients owe it to themselves to do their education, make sure the guys know what they're doing. This is their specialty, and this is kind of all they do. Um, and so I just think from a patient from a patient standpoint, it's a team approach. You got to have a specialized therapist and a specialized surgeon and a good a good system. No, I, I think you had two really 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 good points. Number one. I think I think the therapist means everything because, like you said, they're seeing the patients, and, you know, frozen shoulders, rotator cuff, these miserable rehabs, and and they're 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 basically, you know, peeling the patient off the roof every day, right? They can't sleep, they're miserable. Like Wilson said, they're angry, and and so I, I think the team is everything, and and your nurses and your PAs being able to walk them through it because it, it the whole thing is terrible. You got a year of terrible. You can't sleep. They're in a chair. I saw a patient the other day. The guy's been in a chair nine months because that's the only place I can sleep. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, my gosh. So I think that's right. And I think your other point, which is really probably not just medicine, but, you know, getting your carburetor fixed or getting your HVAC fixed. Don't you want a guy that's played the piano for 100,000 hours rather than a guy that's played the piano for an hour to play at your party? Of course you do. So, you know, if I've done about 42,000 scopes doing it 36 years. If I haven't figured it out by now, you know, I'm, I'm dumb. So, of course, you want a guy who's trained at the Mayo Clinic, who's a shoulder specialist to fix your shoulder, rather than a guy that's doing, you know, hip fractures and, and every, you know, carpal tunnel and every kind of surgery. So, I think it's right. I think patients need to do the research, and the Internet allows for that. You know, they need to go find Dr. Cannon out there because he's trained to do this. You know, he's not fixing your back. He's not fixing your neck, but he's going to do a hell of a job with your shoulder. And I think you're 100% right. I think super specialization, as much as, you know, the old timers maybe want to get away from it, I think is really where it's going. And again, you know, it's just a matter of if you do something over and over and you're trained to do it over and over, you've got to be better at it. Amen. Well, listen, you guys, this was, wow. you know, first of all, I could talk about this all night. I, this is <laughs> right in my wheelhouse. And, and you guys were both amazing. So, and Wilson's always entertaining. So um, this was great. And, and I, and I want to thank you both. Scotty, what do you got? You must have a yeah. good question for these yeah, guys. Well, I, it's, you know, it's not. Yeah, no. No, 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 don't, don't lay that uh, expectation. Please don't. I, I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn last night. So <laughs> I, am a, I am a sponge. And I enjoy these conversations. And every time, every time I'll go to Google and I'll pull up 
all the diagrams. And then I follow your conversation on Google and I'll say, ah, there's the patch. Oh, I see. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm much smarter. But to your point, it's all out there, right? You can research this stuff. You can listen to this podcast and sort of follow along on Google, and, and there it is. It's, it's, it's all there. Even your, your double row rotator cuff repair, it's right there. I, I didn't pull that off at the top of my head. I read it because there was no way I was going to remember that. <laughs> but, but there it is. It, but it's, it's so important. I think that that is a, um, an absolutely – I mean, I, I love these conversations. I really do. I mean, I believe for me personally, given the conversations you guys are having, the biologics and just this future, I think it's better. It's just – there's there's a lot of good things to be hopeful for on uh, on a lot of this treatment. Now I don't want to get a rotate the rotator cuff surgery. I'm not going to do that. Apparently, apparently that's miserable. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's miserable. But but the, the it's it's a lot better getting your reverse total shoulder yeah. when you don't get it fixed. Yeah, but you know, what's living with a torn rotator cuff. That one's miserable too. Yeah, same. there you go. I don't want. I don't want. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of be that uh, guy in the back, sort of. Hey, you go ahead. I'll just, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna risk my my shoulders. Anyway, hi, uh, Doctor Justin. How did they get a hold of you? Because they, yeah, whatever you said sparked interest. How did the listeners get a hold of you? So, just to your point, I think Doctor Google's. Uh, as much as I worry about Doctor Google's, I think pulling me up on the internet is probably the easiest way to find me. Um, you know, I'm at the Tennessee Orthopedic Clinics in Knoxville, Tennessee. If you also look up Knoxville show, if you look up www.knoxvilleshoulderelbow.com, uh, that's my uh, that's my website. I believe. Uh, if you'll double, give me a second here. I uh, haven't been there in a bit. But uh, but again, Tennessee Orthopedic Clinics is the uh, the name of our main office. We're one of the. There's only a couple big groups down there, and uh, we're one of the main ones. We serve a lot of East Tennessee. Um, so yeah, if you that number or uh, KnoxvilleShoulderElbow.com, uh, that'll get you to uh, all sorts of excitement. Well, there you go, man. <laughs> and I have to do this, Wilson. How do they get a hold of you? You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're the first person to ever make that joke. Oh, yeah. I'm sure I am. Oh, I am that brilliant. Yes. Um, as you said off the top, uh, corephysicaltherapy.com. Uh, uh, find a location near you. My location is in Alcoa, Tennessee. It's sort of a, an outlying area of Knoxville. I see people from all over Knoxville, East Tennessee, and uh, the lovely Appalachian Mountains around us. Uh, I love it, man. Back in Princeville and all that good stuff. So, uh, another. Uh, right Dr. There. Yeah, Dr. Rick, you knocked it out of the park. Very good. You always never, never let us down. You you just do a great job. All right, listeners, remember you to go out. You do a great job. Yeah. That, that's Thank you true. guys, too. Yeah. Anyway, go out to corephysicaltherapy.com. Remember that. Go there. Find out more. Definitely will find Wilson out there on that particular website, too. All right. Thank you guys for being on In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy, my friend. Thank you, guys.